Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Inside the GM Studio, a podcast all about the tabletop RPG hobby, shit like that. Uh, usually, we're more focused towards the GMs, but today it's all about the players, baby. I am your host, Matt. I am David. And today, uh, we've had a very nice email from Rebecca that came in uh, that wants to talk about the other four-fifths of the group, the players. <laughs> and uh what she uh yeah right and uh some points that she thinks are uh good points that all players should go by and wants to know what we think but uh to start with we're gonna do what we always do and uh i don't know we had our curse of Strahd game yesterday i was a uh i wasn't that much uh there because i had been working since seven in the morning and we start at like 11 p.m uh, so I was very tired, and I'm I'm apologizing to Dave right now because I think I fell asleep about three times while I doing it. Sure. I wasn't sure if you were just getting bored because I felt like the game was kind of clunky as fuck last night. Um, some of it was technical issues. Chris and Patrick both had technical issues. And then it also seemed like there was quite a bit of, I don't know if it was a technical issue, but there was a lag where it was like we... We just weren't really in sync last night. Everybody was kind of that talking was over each the other. The worst and... lag ever. Mm, maybe it's because it did be the it, lag. It seemed every single time somebody was talking, somebody would end up talking over them. I know, and I felt bad for Mike because he actually was talking quite a bit last night, or at least mm -hmm. he went to talk quite a bit last night, and he kept getting interrupted by other players. And it's like, ah, I, you know, but I didn't. Um, yeah, it didn't go the smoothest, and I was kind of a little disappointed about that because I was looking forward to last night's session because I we didn't really get to the element of the session that I thought we were going to because I didn't know whether you guys were planning on exploring the rest of the manor or if you were just going to dip right after. And it seemed like, on one hand, it look, looked that way at the beginning that you guys were just going to leave, but then you opted to explore the rest of the mansion, and that you know, ate up most of the, most of the sessions. So, uh, but yeah, I was kind of a little, felt like things just really didn't go as smoothly as they could have, especially because of the lag and, and dialogue. Like every time I went to kind of describe stuff or like keep the game moving along, it seemed like someone talked Yeah. and then I was like, oh, okay. But then every time I was like, okay, I'm just going to kind of be quiet because of this lag then it seemed like there was just long periods where nobody <laughs> yeah. was saying anything and i was like oh, okay and then the second i pipe up to say something people are like, oh. it's like, this just typifies exactly why i don't typically like playing online yeah that's the that's the downside of playing online right now is the uh technical side of it all and i can't give you can't give people shit if they don't want to try to I don't even like to say it like that. They don't want to try to make it better. You know, it can be expensive to try to make it better for everybody. Yep. And I don't expect anybody to pay for anything when it comes to this sort of stuff. But it does kind of, and it's not like it happens all the time, but it is frustrating uh, trying to play online with your friends all over the country. And But it's just some shit that you got to deal with sometimes. You have to have a baseline for what's the acceptable threshold it's kind of funny because when cody and sean we had to drop them from the group precisely because they just had so many technical issues that it was just not 
tenable to keep them in the group anymore. One of the things I said was that Patrick in particular, I'm like, I've been playing with Patrick for years and he's never had a technical issue ever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I fucking jinxed it because his shit was just mucked up. Like he also couldn't internalize it. He was like, well, it's got basically just kept being like, well, but it's probably something on your end. It's like, yeah. but, it's, but it's probably not, dude. I don't know what it is. And so that's part of it is just that roll 20 sucks. Part of it is just, you know, the lag of like playing with some, you know, people in Florida, Michigan and California, like syncing up. So the divide, but like using discord and using roll 20 at the roll same 20. time it's like that's it's like a fucking headache but mm -hmm. that that said how do you think the adventure is shaping up as far i tried to incorporate a little bit more character elements in last night because we weren't really getting to a lot of action and i i noticed like, yeah i could i noticed myself there wasn't um as much discourse as i was ready for i was expecting a lot more role-playing happening and it just kind of helped Ended up that El Rose was just like, oh yeah, here, that's yours. Yeah. Just gave over the the hilt and I was expecting for like a big thing to happen, but it never did. But I, I know, felt like there was some good uh character interaction between mm -hmm. the group. We had a lot of good stuff going on. Uh I liked the little thing that Chris and I had when I wanted to say, you know, leave Vladimir here, leave his body here, because I promised him that I'd face him one more time. He's like, well, if that's your blah, 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 blah. I was like, yeah, well, this is what I want to do. Well, blah, 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 blah. I'm a fucking cleric of death. So I thought I was like the interactions that I have with Chris because he can usually make it pretty interesting. They tried to rope everybody in, but Patrick was not only was A, he doesn't have video. B, he couldn't see the screen. And I don't know about you, but I understood like 20 words that Patrick said all night. Mm -hmm. It was really difficult to understand him. And I think part of it is because... I don't know what it is. Headset. Maybe his headset is too close to his mouth. Maybe he just mumbles, but it, it'll just be like, mm -hmm. over the rest of the party. And you're like, okay. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's kind of a hard character or card player to kind of coax dialogue and exposition out of to begin with. So I don't know. I tried to, I tried to pull everybody into the narrative at least a little bit last night. I feel like, if we hadn't had some technical issues, I probably would have been able to kind of usher that in a little bit different direction, but we're getting to a juncture in the adventure now where I think some things are going to start coming to a head. We're going to kind of segue into the higher echelon of basically the penultimate tier you're mm -hmm. going to get to the last few legs of the campaign that don't involve castle ravenloft and then castle ravenloft will be obviously the ultimate confrontation so yeah we're now over that the main are pretty much yeah we're over the big hump and now quickly going into uh into castle ravenloft itself because all i got uh we got the stuff irena with irena and the abbot bringing her mm -hmm. back to kretzk yep and then what's the other one um well, you have another plot thread that's probably going to come into play next session mm -hmm. that you're, uh, I don't think you guys realize as a plot thread, but it has developed into one. 
And then there's still kind of a uh, lingering concern with uh, werewolves abducting the kids. And those are the only two, th the only two threads that uh, you have. Uh, and then I guess technically you have the Argon Bastol, um follow beacon, up. Yeah. Right. Did you, I was kind of curious. Did you remember what the parameters for lighting the beacon were? Or did you not remember that? At the time, no, I didn't remember until you put up that little thing. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's right. Yeah, I did. I totally forgot all about it. It's always kind of fun. That's that's part of what I'm looking forward to. And if we're going to continue on with this campaign is, is I have this adventure that I've had in my head for a long time as like a basically a top uh top half level like a 10 10 level 10 to 20 campaign that i've had in my head for a long time that i think is is a good plot and obviously i'll be using maps and tokens and everything from other adventures because i'd never drew a map out for it or anything like that but i think it'll be an interesting way to kind of take you guys from level 10 to 20 shift gears um high stakes high drama uh that said there's a possibility that beto won't make it that long that mm. elros's character might I might have to have him play tour deck, in which case I'll probably convert him into kind of like a different style of fighter, hand him a level 10 tour deck just to kind of keep party cohesion, and then probably not even bother running an NPC. Because especially last night, man, where it was like I was running Esmeralda, I was running tour deck, I had to like control everything for Patrick's character, and then Chris was having technical issues. It's like, God, I'm rolling, a, I'm rolling initiative and like doing stuff for like, five characters <laughs> not my jam at all mm. but yeah i don't know we'll, we'll, like i hopefully we can iron out the the technical details and kind of we'll get back into a little bit more varied plot threads and develop some character stuff and then we'll kind of button up the adventure here in a few months so it should be fun yeah hopefully but man all i remember is castle ravenloft is so fucking big I mean, we spent a lot of time in Argument Stall already, and mm -hmm. like Ravenloft is four times the size of that thing. The thing is, though, is I was thinking about this is so the goal of going to the castle is to go and confront Strahd. Mm -hmm. So it is possible, based on the Taroka deck reading, that you could just stumble into that area fairly quickly and that confrontation could happen. That's true. Because that's the thing about the castle is you're just kind of ambling around the castle looking for the area where you're supposed to confront him or looking for any artifacts that might the Taroka deck might have put there. And from what I can understand, um, you guys do have one, one of the artifacts. I think the the holy symbol is in there. Mm. But the other two you've already found. Yeah. By the way, do you, I wanted to ask you this, maybe it's kind of ruining stuff for you as a player. Did everybody just fucking forget that Cody has the Tomb of Strahd and you just buried him under six feet of earth? Yeah, everybody 
just kind of forgot. Everybody just forgot, right? Okay, I just <laughs> I was just wondering if anyone remembered that because it was just like we got to get this right, and then he had it. Chris had it for a minute, and he gave it to Cody, mm-hmm. and I and like Cody had it, and I know it's come up that Cody had it after Cody died. Yeah, but then you guys just put him in the fucking ground and buried him, and I was like, okay, I guess that's just gonna stay there with him for a yeah. while. Yeah, I like to because uh, the Taroka reading was done before me, Patrick, or anybody else joined the group. So I do remember that happening and being like, oh, well, okay. But my character isn't really aware of these, of all the artifacts needed being put together. They've told him of the the Taroka reading and like everything that the, she said, but I didn't know that that was like the Tome of Strahd, as far as I know, if I can remember right. But yeah, yeah I do can, love that. It's a pristine example of the players just kind of assuming that the uh, the players that joined late have the same information that they have. Like they they've only talked minimally about uh, Lady Watcher's husband and him being the ally against Strahd and and resurrecting him. Mm-hmm. And that's so that's kind of an open plot thread too, as to whether that's going to happen or whether anyone will remember that that's a thing that you know you're make things easier on you. I don't know. You guys might just foray into um, into the castle. Although I will say, from what I understand, a readover of the adventure kind of assumes that you will visit the castle before you really go there to confront Strahd. Mm. Uh, it kind of assumes that you might visit the castle even a couple of times before you go to confront him. And it seems like you guys are kind of avoiding that or at least just occupying yourselves with other elements of the uh, adventure. So uh, I got some stuff up my sleeve that I think is going to play out in the next couple of sessions, assuming that we can make sure that everything goes smoothly. Um, the thing with Beto and the other characters is going to come to a head because I'm, I'm holding his level seven hostage until, or his level eight hostage until he turns that over. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that's, so he'll just be. Oh, dude, I fucking loved it when he summoned his quasit and showed up and you were just <laughs> the looks of the daggers that he is staring you down with that was like oh dude yes this is what you get motherfucker but yeah that's a uh... anyway uh all right you want to kind of i think that kind of catches us up and yeah. move on to emails let's well let's move on to the community questions oh, sure uh and then we'll go right into the emails so go ahead and roll us a d20 let's see what we got 11 11 okay this one it comes from only d20 can judge me one of my players is too passive and uninterested game is dnd 3.5 not that it matters so yeah she is playing an elf rogue and she is like a ghost during the game in the last session, the party was searching for a guy, and some halfling told them that they could they that they can meet at midnight, and he will take them to this guy. They went to the tavern and waited until it's midnight. The ranger went early and climbed a tall building to check the surroundings, while the wizards and druid went to the meeting point. And when I asked the rogue what she wanted to do, she said, I go to sleep. I was like, okay, you go to sleep. And then she literally went to sleep, LARPing at its finest. It happened one more one more time too. There was a lot of talking going on for some time. The PCs trying to tying up two suspected necromancers and trying to figure out who was the bad guy, and she just went to sleep. 
While talking on our WhatsApp group, I was telling the players that I thought I thought of something new. After each session, every player will award someone XP for good role playing, being active, etc. And I joked about trying not to award I joked about trying not to award those who fall asleep during play. She suddenly got sensitive about my joke. Anyway, after that, I told the group to throw the old character sheets to into the garbage because there was a lot of stuff to update and she said i don't want xp i'm sleeping during play anyway i also lost my old character sheet <laughs> even when she plays she is pretty much disinterested all the time during combat when she rolls one or two bad attack rolls she's like well i can't hit anyone anyway and it's like we almost force her to roll the dice then she starts playing with her phone while others make their move that's pretty much it she still cares she still cares to come to the sessions, at least. I'm setting up a quest about her character's background. If that doesn't work, I don't know what else I can do. I don't want to kick her out of the group, but things are going in that direction. It just downs everybody else in the group and kills the mood. So, how do I engage an uninterested player? If all fails, how do you deal with her? The answer is stop trying to engage the character and talk to the player. I mean, I'm always going on about how players respond to incentives, and usually those entail in-game incentives. But it sounds as though this player has demonstrated a real lack of interest. And if I'd have to venture to guess, that's almost always because they do have a lack of interest. Mm -hmm. And that they're probably there at the game for other reasons. Now, I don't know anything. He didn't contextualize this, but... Typically, this will be like, it's someone's girlfriend and she's there because she wants to spend time with her boyfriend or she wants to spend time with some guy she likes or something to that effect. And so she's not really into the game. And in which case, you just need to politely confront that person when no one else is around and just ask them like, hey, so what's the deal? Like, ask them in earnest. Don't blindside them. Try not to be accusatory. Try not to be um to point any fingers i guess is what i'm getting at is mm -hmm. just ask them like hey it really seems like you know a player that falls asleep at a game especially on a regular basis or generally seems disengaged from the overall story has some issue with the game most likely or probably not even with the game they have some issues with themselves and their own whatever that's just it i want to point out not only just falling asleep but stating i'm going to sleep and just standing up and walking off to go to sleep that's not good that doesn't yeah. sure i mean you want to try to take ownership of it as the game master and say okay what am i doing and but if you've tried some incentives in the game then you just need to ask the player, like, what is it? It doesn't, it, it seems to me, my perception seems to be that you're not terribly invested in the game. And I don't understand why you would still continue to participate, show up to the game if you don't actually want to play because you falling asleep or getting disenfranchised simply because things don't go your way. Or is there, is there some way that I can make the game more interesting for you? And I would venture to guess that if you confront this person with that, what it will lead to is this giant diatribe about their life and how they actually really don't want to play. And they're there because they want someone to notice 
that something is the matter with them. Mm -hmm. Something else is going on in their life because, and yeah, I, maybe this is a bit sexist, but I'm not surprised to learn that this, this player is a woman because generally speaking, guys just either want to do the thing or they don't want to do the thing and they don't really have complicated. Like if a guy didn't want to play D and D and he's not interested in playing D and D wouldn't endeavor to do so. Um, but women are much more social than men. And so this is a sociable thing. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's not a sociable thing that she's interested in, but she's interested in socializing. And so that's really what needs to be done is you don't want to kick the player out of the group because that's much more forceful and is likely to create, it's likely to create drama with this person who I presume is somewhat on friendly terms with the game master. But if you take a much more like, Hey, is something going on? It doesn't seem like you're all that interested in the game. Is everything okay? Is there something that I could be doing? They will probably just end up stepping away from the game. They'll be like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just, I'm not really into it. And I got this thing at work and my mom, my mom is sick and I got to take my cat to the vet and you just be like, okay, so we're just, just so we're clear, you don't actually want to play D&D. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they will just, you know, uh, again, I've think I've been pretty, um, vocal about the fact that players will not often outright criticize a GM style of play. And so you, sometimes if you want to be thoughtful, maybe there is some glaring flaws in, in the game that interest the other players, but do not interest this one player in particular. And they're not likely to be like, man, this is kind of stupid. But if you ask them like, Hey, is there something that I could be doing better? There's certain aspects of the game that you would like to come to the fore. Are the other PCs overshadowing you? Do you not feel like, the, are you happy with the character you made? Is there right. anything that we can change? One right. thing is uh, with with questions like these, people always ask me when they hear questions like these, they just say, why can't they just talk to them? It's like, you got to understand, D&D &D is very popular now, but it's still populated by a lot of anti, uh, oh God, what am I thinking of? Uh, they don't like to engage in conflict at all. They want to be very agreeable with everybody and they don't want to press any buttons. So mm -hmm. a lot of people just don't, they don't talk and they don't ask if anything's the matter because they don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to start anything, but I used to be that way with a lot of online groups. When I joined an online group, I'd go weeks, just horribly unhappy with it. And then one day I just snapped and I realized, nope, if you're not having fun, if you are not clicking with the group, just tell them, hey, guys, I I can't do this. Or if you're not clicking with another player, like the whole group is not playing, clicking with another player, just tell them, hey, man, this isn't working out. You got to, sorry, we got to let you go. You got to change. We got to let you go. Something. You got to just be able to speak up, talk about it, and get it over with. Because that's the biggest problem with a lot of the groups. They don't talk to each other. Well, there has to be a certain level of fairness and everybody wants to be fair to someone else. If you don't like something, you think that maybe it will correct itself, but it's not going to do that if you don't speak up. If you're afraid of like putting someone off because you think things could be done better, then, then you're just not going to get something that's enjoyable to you. But 
most GMs, at least most that I've known, barring a few real kind of hard line, like put their foot down, like my way or the highway, most GMs want to run a game that their players are interested in and are fine to troubleshoot some aspects of the game. And so if you're not getting what you want, you need to be humble enough to realize, okay, well, am I the outlier? What is, how do the rest of the players in the group feel? Um, but you shouldn't be, the, the irony is, is that in wanting to avoid being whiny in a complainer, it makes them much whinier and like sensitive. And that's just not a recipe for everybody having a good time because it's just that adage. If you just push something down that bothers you, it doesn't go away. Like it doesn't go away mm -hmm. and you're going to end up far more dissatisfied because it won't at a certain point, it will no longer be about the person that bothers you. It will be about your lack of self-respect to assert what it is that you want. And you will just feel bad constantly. And that's like, it's a game that you should never take so seriously as to just avoid talking to the, the person running it in hopes that they might be able to adjust or troubleshoot and Sure, maybe some things are so big. I think that this is a perfect example of something that is not really something you can adjust for. Mm -hmm. I think that this player just doesn't really want to play. And I think I, that there's more, yeah. more going on in their life that really is, is communicating that. And so I get some people that are hard line, like, look, you're not having fun. You're falling asleep. You're out of the game. Like, I don't care. But if this person is somebody that you... Most people don't play D&D &D with a bunch of strangers. They play with people that they like and they, they are interested in and respect. And so if that is the case, try talking to them, not as a player, but as a friend or a coworker or whatever, and say like, hey, is this not something that really meets with your interest? Because, you know, whatever, maybe we could just get together for drinks or something once a week instead of playing D&D &D if it's not your jam. But if you really don't care, you know, you're just like, look, man, like save the drama for your mama. Like you don't want to play, get out of my group. I'm trying to run a game here. Like yeah. I get that. I mean, it might be a little me, but it depends on your nature of the relationship with the person. Yeah. That's, yeah. I agree with you. Um, that there is something definitely when it comes to something like this, there's, there's something a lot deeper than just not being interested in the game. It almost sounds like the way that the question was, or the whole thing was going was uh, that they're almost like roommates because either that or she's hosting the game, which is even fucking weirder. Unless she's just going and like falling asleep on the couch and they just wake her up and say, go home later. And I don't want to put it all on this player, but I bet you, if the previous scenario that I painted, that somebody in the group is like, you know, their boyfriend or something. And usually the way that happens, and I'm not, I'm not putting it on the woman here. Usually it's somebody, a, a bunch of guys get enthusiastic about this thing. And because women are like a lot more agreeable than men, mm. they'll just rope this person in like, Hey, you want to, you could play with us. Right. And they'll just be like, yeah, sh sure. You know, like I'll play or whatever. And they don't really want to. And so they're not really invested or interested in the game at all. And so if you've, if, if I would 
posit to this, or I would propose to this GM, think long and hard about the genesis of this person getting involved in your game. And was it likely that they were just caving to some sort of social pressure of the other people wanted them to play? And in which case you probably have your answer, which is that they did, they never wanted to play. Mm. They just did it to go along with the people they wanted to spend time with, or, or they just allowed themselves to be kind of, for lack of a better word, just ushered over into this fucking game. I've, I've played with people like that before where it, like I said, it's usually some guy wants to play. And either his girlfriend wants to hang out with him or he's like, hey, you know, come along and like play with me. And she's just like, sure, whatever, I guess. And it's hardly the other way around. Um, but those players never last. At least yeah. they haven't in my games. They've always just kind of flaked off when their their interest in something, you know, something else kind of popped up. It's like, yep. okay, I get it. Well, I think that uh, covers that. So, what do you say we get into these emails and into our main topic? Oh, plural? We got more than one email? All together for the main topic. So, I received an email from Rebecca that uh, already in the tagline, she had put uh, the player's perspective. I was like, ooh, okay. This is good because we do. We speak mostly for the Game Masters. And she writes, hey, all. Here's a topic I thought might be interesting. You guys focus mostly on the GM experience in gaming. You say so in your intro, but I'm seeing a lack of info for players online and around the community. What is some good advice to make a better player? Here's my list of the obvious. Now, Dave, do you want to go one by one and we'll see what we think? Or should I just read them all and then we'll go over everything at the end? Mm, I guess it depends on how long the list is. Uh, It's five. Five, let's, five things. Let's go, let's go one by one. Okay. Number one, show up ready to play. The biggest complaint from GMs everywhere. Be at the game prepared with your character sheet, dice, notepaper, and writing tool. If you are going to miss or be late to the game, let the whole group know in advance. That's just common courtesy. Big one. That's one of mine, probably top three of everything, is just especially the let the group know, let everyone know. There should be a text chain, a Discord group. If you are going to be late or miss the game, try to do it at least a good couple hours ahead of time, if not a day before. That also depends on the parameters of your game. Like, we don't play if someone can't make it. So, mm-hmm. generally speaking, we play on Saturday nights. And if you're not playing D&D on Saturday night, you might want to do something else. So, as soon as you know as a player that you will not be able to make it to the game. I think whether it's discord, whether you have a WhatsApp or just a group text like we do. Yeah. Let everybody know most of the things that are being a good player fall under the umbrella of the same things that make being a good GM, like just don't be an asshole. But the problem Mm -hmm. is, is that not everybody is on the same page about what constitutes an asshole. Otherwise there would be no assholes, right? (laughs) Yeah. But as kind of a subset of what it is that she's she's talking about, I think that there is a deeper element to it that goes a bit further of come to the game ready to play. And it doesn't even just entail make sure that you have all the things you need pen, paper, whatever your dice, make sure you show up on time, make sure you're chipping in for food. Make sure you got cigarettes just and make sure that whatever it is that you're doing, that you're prepared to sit down at the game. And not be interrupted for several hours, barring like, you know, piss break or paying the pizza guy or whatever. But I would say to take it even a step further that 
it's probably important that you make sure that you start to get in the frame of mind that is one that is conducive to being social and playing a role-playing game. Uh, that's why I always think it's good that like in the days leading up to, to gaming, I start to kind of like pick at the game. I'll go in and look at the game and I kind of gets me in the proper mindset. You know, you don't want to come from like a, like a 40 hour, 40 hours of work and you just had some conflict with your boss or you had to drop your fucking kids off and you're just, you're in an, you're, you're bumping things up right against the time when you play where you're bringing all of that mental and emotional baggage in because it's going to make sure that the game, that you're not in a frame of mind to do something that is supposed to be fun. So try to do anything prior to the game that might put you in a good state of mind or, um, or in a, in a role-playing state of mind, right? Like, you know, watching television shows that are on theme, reading comic books, reading stories or, or whatever, talking about it with, with, you know, people that you play with, if you work with any of them or you see any of them, you know, kind of hype yourself up a little bit to be excited about the game. Otherwise you might be kind of nonplussed and you might not be prepared to really play. I know we've all done that at some point where we've just kind of, we're not in the mood to play. And so I think that that kind of goes a long way with, with just as much as all the other things that she listed, but that's a, that's a good number mm -hmm. one. And it actually is the yeah. first order of business. It is number two, be engaged in the story. This doesn't mean that you have to ride the rails that the GM has laid, but just be aware of what's going on and what the other players are doing as well. This is another good one that I like. Uh, if the GM is kind of making it a railroading storyline, you don't have to just go along with it. Um, make some stuff up that also keeps the GM on his toes. Mm -hmm. uh, and also make sure that the the other uh, group is willing to work along with you. You know, uh, make the story a group function. That's one of the big things I've got. I always say that it's a division of responsibilities. And I think that GMs that are too hard line lose sight of the fact that the game is supposed to be fun for the players mm -hmm. and players that are not thoughtful and engaged in the GM story, forget that it's supposed to be fun for the GM too. Anything that you can do as a player to consider your fellow players and especially your GM, what will be fun for them on top of it being fun for me? How can I shake things up? Uh, this, this goes to the number one rule of at table etiquette that we had talked about a couple of weeks ago or things that make GMing help make you a better player. That topic as well is just learning to listen is mm -hmm. to her point, like be engaged not only with the overall narrative, which means you should be thoughtful and listening to like what's going on, but also to kind of like try to really internalize what it is that that might mean for your character and how that bumps up against certain sensibilities that they might have, because then you will be pulling out of the narrative times when you can demonstrate conflict either against the plot or against the other characters, the villains, NPCs, whoever, or building trust and camaraderie with NPCs, with 
other party members. And that's really the crux of what it is that you're trying to get out of any story is, mm. is, a is a conflict and then a resolution of that conflict that leads to catharsis and some sort of, you know, warm, fuzzy feeling that you accomplished yeah. something. And so the more engaged you are, the more you understand, the better involved you're going to be. I mean, we've all put on a movie in the background before and like someone will be like, oh, it's a really good movie. And you're like, yeah, I watched it. It was all right. But then it's like, well, you, what you were, you're really in watching it, engaged, invested in the, in the story. And if you weren't the likelihood that you're probably was like, oh, I was fine. You know, it's okay. Yeah. So the, I like to call those the dishwashing movies, just something yeah. that you put on in the background while you're washing dishes. Yeah. Just to I cut don't do the, that. you know, the silence. I don't do that, but I get people that do. And I, uh, mm. You know, I, I think that, I think that if one were more, uh, deliberate about that with, again, I'm a movie guy. If you're more deliberate about that with films, I think it helps you be that way with role-playing too. Mm -hmm. You sit down to watch a movie and like people tell me like, oh, I watched, yeah, I watched that on my phone. It's like, okay, you did not fucking watch anything if you watched <laughs> it on your phone, right? Like it's a, it's a film, like you should pay attention to it, right? It's like, yeah, it's, that's people that just listen to shit in the background it's like that's if, if you care enough about something to endeavor to consume it and i'm not shitting on the concept of it being a little more disposable but i'm just saying if something's like something you're invested in the more deliberate and thoughtful you are about that i think the more significant it is to you and it for me it transfers to role playing too is that just there's times to talk and there's times to listen and there's times to have exposition and and you get a sense for those things, the more involved you are in the narrative. Perfection. So I we're agree. good so far. Two for two. Number three. Yes, and applies to players too. Pick up some of the creative weight. The GM will thank you. This one I love because that's one that a lot of my players that I've had in the past, they just expect the GM to create all the atmosphere, mm -hmm. all of the flavor, everything. And it's just like Dave was saying earlier, it's a community thing to make fun, make everything fun for everybody. And GMing is almost like a, oh God, what would that be? A empathic that you feed off of yeah. the stuff that the players give you. So right. if they're really into the scene, you get more into character. The more they're in character, the more you're into everything. There's so, a yeah, danger. There's a danger with this though, which is if you're, Being more performative, but like you said, not being as empathic. I would say that if you're trying to be creative, try to think of other ways to involve the other characters to encourage them. Because plenty of times you have players that are really great, right? And they're performative and they're, and they're outspoken and they speak dialogue and they have all these little character quirks and they pull at these mysteries and create like their own drama and narrative. But a lot of times what happens is those players end up domineering the game and the other players actually take more of a backseat mm -hmm. because they feel like this player will drive the fucking narrative. Like my cousin Cody is this way. He doesn't need anybody to tell. He will take the reins of a fucking plot and he will run it to its conclusion. <laughs> and you need players that are kind of take charge like that. But if you are a player like that, consider tamping it down just a couple of clicks to 
draw the other players in. Think about what are the skills, personalities of the other players and how can I help suss them out? And then to her point, it is really, you're kind of doing some of the GM's job, but it will be rewarding for you too, because you will be encouraging a style of play where everybody is, is like a jazz band and everybody's kind of like doing their part, playing and riffing off each other, like a comedy troupe. And that, that makes mm -hmm. stuff really, really fun because nobody feels like they're just the, the, you know, dog at the front of the sled with the whole party yoked to their back, pushing forward in the snow. You, you get an idea of like, Hey, you know, we all have times to shine to the point previously made a thousand times about sharing the spotlight. Um, you want to be improvisational and creative in a way that encourages that. So yeah. ask, ask questions of other players, leave things open for their skill sets, try engaging them directly in dialogue, roping them into conversations with NPCs, asking questions about their backstory and their history always helps. And then, then it just fosters this kind of atmosphere where everybody's kind of going and it's kind of riffing off each other and then you know it's fun it's like mst3k or something where mm -hmm. you just kind of banter um so yeah i think that that's a good that's a good point but with the caveat of like try not to be the kind of player that just just actively discourages other players because they think that you'll just lead the party around or whatever yeah uh one thing that i will say about uh yes ending as a player i've actually got really good material for future campaign ideas from players kind of yes anding or just throwing in little things here and there. Uh, I guess not like yesterday when we were playing and I was doing the song of rest thing, telling a story, <laughs> you asked me, Oh, well, what's the story about? You know, give us a little bit of what the story is. And I quickly just made something up about my sister going into some caves. And that was the last time I ever saw her. Right. Never said that they ever found her dead or anything. I would have taken some ideas from shit like that, been like, ooh, maybe the sister will show up later as an antagonist or as something. Uh, but it, yeah, the yes ending that players give can also give the GM really good ideas for later dates. Things that will come I, yeah. up like, like in a year of playing and all of a sudden you throw some shit in that they're just like, wait a minute, didn't we talk about them like a year ago? But like, yeah, fuckers, they're here. <laughs> It's a loose thread and that's always good. It's, you know, I, I tried to do a little bit of that. You gave us the story and I was like, oh, that's, you know, kind of on theme with like the Barovian, like macabre, dark, mm -hmm. like whatever. Uh, I would say as a final note to this, that the best way to involve the other players is we get so ingrained into kind of asserting who our characters are and making the things, you know, being an agent that acts on the environment around us. And that demonstrates something about who our characters are and what it is that they want and how they go about it. And we kind of leave everybody to their own devices and responsible for that. But I think the more you can do to not just engage other players, but engage them in a way that elevates them, that shows that they're valued as part of the party. Um, there's, it's like a very good, like, especially if you're a charisma oriented character, it's a very strong type of charisma that like, you know, a few celebrities come to mind, you know, Chris Hemsworth is great at this, watch him in the interviews with the Avengers guys. And he's, you know, he's, he's a guy that doesn't like 
easily commands attention, mm. but he's, but he's constantly like touching his, his, his cast stars. And he's like talking about them in a way that like elevates them and makes them like the spotlight on them. And so it's like, you can be an active participant in a way that shines a spotlight on another player. And it encourages them to be involved in the narrative and like rise to like the task. If they have a skill set that you don't, or they're, they, they accomplish something that you don't. And that sort of, um, that sort of mentality is kind of infectious and it, and it like leaves other players like liking you. And then they want to kind of do the same and elevate you. And then you're always like, just jerking each other off left and right. And it, and it makes for good fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so far, uh, let's see. One through three is good shit so far. Number four, think in terms of the party. Why do you hang out with these murderers? And why do they hang out with you <laughs> instead of leaving your lifeless, looted corpse on the side of the road and proceeding to the next town? <laughs> That's... I think this is something that we've talked about a few times. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but yeah. Why are you hanging out with these fuckers? Uh, recently, a big trend is there's no longer you meet in a tavern. Uh, a lot of games these days, and we're, we do it all the time now, that you start knowing each other. Yeah. Uh, but why? And that's just it. The whole, and oh my God, I did it again. That's just it. That's uh, just it. That's just it. Um, back in the day when we did, you meet in a tavern. Sure, we get done with the the main thing that we got together to do, but then we never questioned why we continued to hang out. We were just like, "Yep, on to the next one." Then we're all friends now. They call that the inciting incident, right? What would what draws the party together? But why, you know, in if you're using the what they call the in media res technique, which means the party is already together. You join the party already in action. You don't see how they get together. This isn't the Avengers, right? Like it just mm -hmm. like in the second Avengers movie, you don't need to see how the Avengers got together. You join them in media res. They're already our teams. That's a good point about why, you know, not only did you start adventuring, but why do you continue to adventure? But I think that we kind of already touched on, or I already kind of touched on this with, if you do things that elevate the other players and involve them and show that you value their skills, then you're demonstrating already that you value them and that they're an essential part that you can do something with them that you can't do alone. Uh, we, we touched on this a little bit in our building party cohesion mm -hmm. uh, episode, which is that's how you establish camaraderie and, and, you know, people that go through traumatic experiences together should have some sort of camaraderie. But if you're mm -hmm. doing the, the other techniques that we kind of discussed in the other point, I think this point will kind of this question or this tactic will almost answer itself. If you're doing things that show the other party members that you're, you're interested in their backstories, you're interested in their opinions and their thoughts on things. You're involving them. You're elevating their skill sets in a way that seems important. Then they will just have a natural. You'll have a natural affinity for one another, and yeah, uh, it won't it won't be a, much of an issue. But but it's a good question to ask. Like, why do you continue to do X versus? Yeah, uh, you know, I never thought of it like that. Uh, coming from experience, and I bring this up to a lot of people. Uh, the place that I work at now, a lot of us all work together at a bar as door guys. Uh, 
and everybody at work now, they're just like, man, you guys are so close. It's like, yeah, well, you know, back working at the bar, we would take punches for for each other. We would bleed. We would literally bleed for each other. Mm-hmm. And whenever we get together, we still, you know, we act like family. You do. You get this weird, almost like military bond. I've known my brother-in-law was in the Marines and he can't stand most of the dudes that he was in the service with, but he still says if they ever need anything, I would be there for them. So that's a, I never even thought of that. Like, Oh yes, we were, we were about to die for each other. That's why we travel together. Yeah. Characters should, should feel that way. And the more you can demonstrate that, well, I think our game last night was probably a good, um, not necessarily a, a terribly big example, but a micro example of this, which is when you show support for a character that might have a goal that they cannot achieve without the party, right? So admittedly, traveling to Ark and Vestole and Curse of Strahd to get the the artifact is beneficial to the entire party. But you guys are there at the behest of Mike's character and when mm-hmm. you kind of take take the reins, like you're, you know, your guy's the leader or whatever, but when you kind of frame it like, well, hey man, like this is your show. Like we do what we do what you want, right? Like, do you think it's good? Do you want to continue like exploring and try to find this beacon or we got the thing we came for? Like, you know, you're you're in the driver's seat here and it shows that you trust their judgment, you trust that you'll you'll stand behind them even if like something is difficult or arduous because you you value their character and what they bring to the party. And the more you can do that with every given player in the party. And this is partly on the GM too, is you need to have plot threads in there that are for every character. So every character has a, the rest of the party all has an opportunity to kind of support this guy. This is your, you know, this is your quest or this is your thing, or, you know, it's a detour from our main objective, but, but Hey, you know, we're here to support you and we're here to like, you know, we value you and doing that over time. I think it it illustrates in a concrete way that there is some companionship there. Mm. All right. Number five, wrapping it up here, your background is helpful, but your relationships you have now are more important. Those relationships are what will be in the game. Is there anything else you guys would add or have I covered everything pretty well? Signed Rebecca. This one, I kind of have, I understand, yes, the relationships you have now, especially, I guess, family, mm-hmm. if you have family that's still alive, bringing in family or old friends, that is more important because that's something that we can play on right now. But a good backstory, no, I guess it is a little bit more helpful than anything else, but to actually have it in the game would be a relationship you have at the present. This one I just read and I, I didn't understand so I much because I like backstory a lot because it gives everything, I, but everything I, that they have now is actually more usable. I suspect what they're getting at is that your backstory informs how your character got to be where they are and that their character, the character should be evolving so that what's important is their relationship to the party and the other players not Mm -hmm. so much where they came from that informs who they are but that's an interesting point of conflict because the point of a character is to have an arc some sort of development right 
the backstory is definitionally what happens before they go from mm -hmm. humble farmer to adventure and then they grow. And I made this point previously about how to make characters kind of feel like they have more depth and, and texture. And it's precisely on point with this, which is to say that your relationships with each of the PCs or, or major NPCs should vary. And so again, watch, read books or, or watch movies or watch television shows that do this well, and you understand how it makes the character have a lot of depth. Mad Men is very good at this, but I always, you know, like we were talking before, like the Avengers is good. Firefly is a masterclass in this. All mm -hmm. the characters have different relationships with one another and their backstory informs those relationships, but it's not the driving force. Uh, we, we, we handled this in a community question a while back where it was like the character was brought up as a pacifist. That character was, was holding on to their background instead of acknowledging the arc in the relationships and, and putting in the fore, like the, the reason they became an adventurer to begin with, they were too married to the idea that their character was brought up a pacifist and just totally ignored the fact that like something put them on a path to be adventurer and something put them in the mix of all these other characters and something pushed them down a path where they're confronting evil. And, and they're just like, well, no, but I was just like brought up, you know, I'm of nature. <laughs> <laughs> I think what she's getting at is try to try to acknowledge that your character has an arc and that building relationships with the other PCs and major NPCs as you go throughout the plot points of the adventure should inform your decisions so that your character grows in some way and is a different character by the time they hit level 20 than, by, than when they are at level one. And if they don't do that, then they're boring and you need to be able to suss out what are the things that remain unchanged, you know, you know, once a poor kid, always a poor kid, you know, or I was raised an orphan and that kind of informs everything like sussing out those things that, that don't change is just as important as, as acknowledging the things that do change. They're different shades. Where has your character had different shades of the thing? You know, he grew up kind of uh, as a farmer and now he's like, you know, rubbing elbows with kings and stuff. What sensibilities does he bring about that? How has his opinions about royalty maybe changed or not just evolved, but maybe completely flip-flopped? How have they become different? And answering those questions has more to do with the here and now of where you are in your adventure than where you came from, I think is what she's getting at. Okay. And it's, it's not bad advice, but, um, but I think it's a little more, uh, it's more in the meta strata of the game of the role-playing aspect. As yeah, I can to... see that now. The relationships you have now, that you make now even, uh, can affect the story. Yeah. And what will be in the game. All right, I like that. Thank you for clearing that up, David. That was very nice of you. I appreciate it. I mean, maybe I'm way off base. Maybe she'll write. Yeah, I know. Not what I was <laughs> we could at all. be completely wrong. But is there anything else that you would add uh, to her list? Or does she cover everything pretty good for... Man, it's pretty comprehensive. Um, but again, she's, she's dealing with the... I think part of the reason that the, the order is actually even really good is that she goes from, like, the player as a care... Like, as a person and moves more to, like, a more conceptual, like... Yeah. It, thinking about your character in the meta stratosphere. 
um, it, it really has to things that like, trying to think if there's anything that she missed that I, we didn't touch on that are important for players to know. I mean, we already kind of touched on it with some of it, which is make, make space for your fellow players. And, but again, that comes with, if you think and long and hard about why you're with them, then you will make space for them. You will be courteous of the the DM and, and the other players. Yeah. I thought this was a really good list for, you know, especially newer or, you know, uh, like a brand new, or even if you've only been playing for like a year or two, this is a good list to just kind of throw at them and be like, Hey, look at this. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of would, I would add into it that you want to think about your character on a more micro level. I mean, sure. It is very important to establish who they are in relation to other people, but kind of to her point about the background, you need to establish what your character's principles are Hmm. if those are embedded in their background then they might not change they might be uh what you would call values and the best parts of conflict of any work of fiction whether it's a role-playing game or song are where do competing values come up against each other and so you need to kind of have those really well solidified like whether it comes from your background, your class, or your relationships, you have to think about the things that you're not willing to compromise and things that you, you know, are more malleable and why you feel certain ways about certain things. What are your principles? Because those are ultimately what make your character who they are. And that's much more of a micro level than it is a macro level. Well, with that, uh, I think we're going to end on those wide, wise words. Uh, that has been a podcast for this week. Uh, if any of you have an email to send us, like Rebecca did, to give us ideas for a whole episode, send it to inside the GM studio at gmail.com. Or you can just send us little things here and there. That tell us how good we look by the sound of our voice. And you guys should try this game out and see what you think. But. Anyway, uh, for this week, for Inside the GM Studio, I've been your host, Matt. I am David. Good night.